Welcome to a bonus episode of Bold Thinking. Back in October, I spoke to Dan Buckingham while he was still at Virgin Atlantic and before we poached him to join Honest. We had a fantastic conversation about the potential for travel and hospitality post-lockdown, something we all hoped was coming soon. The problem was by the time we were due to publish the episode in late December, our world had gone back to full lockdown. So sharing a conversation about travel felt a little redundant and beyond wishful thinking. So it's with the greatest of optimism that we decided to resurrect the episode as we start thinking about visiting friends and family abroad and exploring exciting new destinations. Can you imagine it? Can't wait. I really hope you enjoy this episode. I absolutely love Dan Buckingham and it's been brilliant him coming to work with us at Honest and Principal. Welcome to Bold Thinking, entrepreneurial stories honestly told. In a world full of chaos, this is a podcast about the people making positive change in the world, using bold thinking to transform business and themselves. It's a bit of a bonkers time at the moment, as we know. So I think it's really good to have a bit of light in the world. And I think looking for the good stories and the people that are, you know, helping to lead that way is massive. So today I'm speaking to Dan Buckingham, head of Clubhouses, Virgin and Spas at Virgin Atlantic. Dan has spent the best part of 10 years at Virgin Group, starting out in Virgin Holidays, where he rose to heading up retail operations before moving over to Virgin Atlantic in 2018. After all that time, there isn't much Dan doesn't know about travel, a sector that's gone through an enormous, immense change this year. So welcome to Dan. Uh, Thank you for joining us. (laughs) So first off, how are you today? Yeah, very well, thank you. Very well, yourself? All good. All happy to be here and talking about positive things in the world. So this is a podcast, as we know, about uh, bold thinking. So, Dan, let's get into it. So what's been your boldest business idea today? Uh, So um, firstly, thanks for having me. Um, I think, um, uh, you know, Virgin is seen as a a hugely entrepreneurial company. And um, deep down underneath that, actually, to be fair, we get the real opportunity to try different things. And I guess... Probably my uh, or the boldest idea we've ever had and came to fruition was um, uh, building uh, the world's first virtual roller coaster in a retail store, which um, at the time was a bit mad (laughs) because when you say that off the cuff, people don't really understand what it means. But as it stands today, it is in Cardiff uh, in the shopping centre there. and it's been amazingly successful. It's won some awards, but also, far more importantly, it, it certainly in them days gave us more sales as well. So, um, yeah, really successful. Wow. So is there anything in this sort of like, you know, airline set you were doing, obviously, pre-COVID? How did, how did that all pan out? Yeah, so I think, um, obviously, moving to the airline, it, um, there's an underlying piece, which is health and safety for obvious reasons. And I think sometimes pushing the boundaries in an airline is sometimes quite difficult. But one of the things we looked at, certainly in my world, which nearly uh, came to fruition, was almost portable and pop-up airport lounges. Um, One of the challenges uh, with most airlines is that they have lounges in certain parts of their network. So as being Heathrow, which is permanent, or John F. Kennedy Airport, which is permanent. But when we seasonally fly to locations, one being Cape Town, it wouldn't be right for a company to invest um, in a lounge operation permanently. So we came up with the idea of a pop-up lounge, which uh, on its 
you know, on on the sounds of it, it sounds quite simple and has been done before, so people think. But actually, in reality, it's never been done in an airline before. And by doing that, what we're doing is making sure our customer experience from end to end and ground to air is consistent. Whereas one of the big challenges for an airline is consistency on the ground of its um, product, which sometimes can be very different and also run by different operators. So unfortunately, it didn't come to fruition because of COVID, but uh, it's certainly something that I think would uh, benefit airlines and Virgin Atlantic going forward and certainly be resurrected. So, so from a Virgin perspective at the moment, obviously it's been a really, it's been a really difficult time, but knowing and, you know, knowing Virgin for years and being very much in love with the brand, actually, I think they've done some amazing things. I'm pretty sure they're going to um, pop back, you know, into into fruition and really start you know, showing us the entrepreneurial spirit, which ideally they must be, um, you know, in a great place to do. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, um, you know, certainly it, it wouldn't be right for me not to say that it's been an exceptionally difficult um, time for both our people and our customers. And, you know, we've lost some amazing colleagues through this process, unfortunately, because we've had to resize and look at our organisation. However, um, that also gives us opportunity and opportunity comes in the form of effectively restarting the airline from scratch. You know, we had at some point in April, no aircraft flying. Um, we weren't flying into any destinations and then we flew cargo for a number of months before passenger flying came back, albeit in a very small amount. So ultimately that's given us the opportunity to really rethink, resize and restart our organization almost as a startup to say, look, Virgin is over 35 years old, but in the same respect, it's now given us an opportunity to really rethink how our business model is, but also how we shape it going forward for our customers and our people, which to me, if anything, is a great advantage coming out of COVID, um, you know, terrible year, but ultimately it's enabled us to survive, but also it's enabled us to rethink uh, really what we do and where we fly and how we do it and how we provide our service to our customers. So yeah, we certainly come back fighting and we'll certainly come back with lots of product innovation and difference going forward. Yeah, it's interesting. I love this um, analogy of a startup. Um, it always conjures up a lot of things in my head around businesses sort of behave and how they do and how they drive things. What does a, what does a startup mean for you, Dan? I think, you know, um, Virgin was always perceived as a company that was a bit, it was very entrepreneurial. But over time, as our businesses evolved and grown, of course, it's become a bit a bit larger and therefore entrepreneurialism sparks of imagination tend to fall to the wayside a bit as you get into the mundane of day-to-day operations certainly in an airline i think when it comes to restart and rethinking and almost a startup mentality it's about speed to delivery it's about really thinking about what the market is and what it's going to be and really making sure what we're doing actually contributes to our commercial success but also our customer operation I think it's fair to say that a lot of companies in the past would be guilty of doing things because maybe they felt they needed to not necessarily contribute into either uh, the commercial success or customer operation. And I think that, you know, Virgin is one of those companies, but we're certainly not the only company that has gone through that. And I think what it gives you is real clarity of purpose, but it also gives you a real mission to go after. And that startup mentality if fed through all your team members in that organization really puts fire in people's bellies to really have one focus and one drive um 
you know, someone when I was uh, younger, someone always used to say to me about the NASA story and about the cleaner talking about well, we're sending a man to the moon, which has been told off numerous occasions. But actually, to be fair, what I see in this scenario is actually everyone has one mission, which is to restart Virgin Atlantic, make it profitable, make it successful. And ultimately, everyone down to uh, the team member as a waiter down to the CEO or the head of department like myself would have that same mission. So really it gives clarity of purpose and I think that's really important. I love that. So what does this mean, I suppose, for the Virgin customers? You know, being a Virgin customer and flying over the years many, many times, I've always, you know, really loved my experience. What does this mean for them? I think what it means is the following, that firstly, um, our dedication to them hasn't waned. Our biggest success is our people in terms of how we engage with our customers. Without a doubt, we're not the, the most flashiest airline. We didn't have the best product because ultimately we had competitors that were and did have a lot more money than us. But what we've enabled us to do is really reduce our fleet and our product to a key offering or a core offering, sorry, which really is focused on the best fleet. So we'll have the greenest fleet in the air in the next year, which is also the newest fleet. Uh, we'll have the best products. We'll have our best premium and upper class products. Um, but also we'll standardise our food and beverage offering for our customers, which means that ultimately whatever aircraft you get on, you'll have the same product. And unfortunately in the past, a lot of airlines have different product based on the air, airline or the, sorry, on the fleet, etc. So I think for me, the customer piece is really about offering real clear clarity to our customers and also offering real loyalty. So one of the things we've also completed uh, is rethinking our loyalty program, which was Flying Club. It's now Virgin Red. And what that will offer is real ability to earn and burn your miles and real loyalty. So what we're saying is actually come back to Virgin or join Virgin and we'll really look after you going forward and treat you as a member of our family. Yeah. I mean, I think that sounds really compelling. And I think when people put customers at the heart of what they do um, and understand their wants and needs, that that must, you know, absolutely must make a massive difference. So, yeah. you know, you've been in this industry or with Virgin and actually, you know, you've had a successful career down over the years. So, you know, what have you learned along the way, you know, in that sort of career? What have you learned are the key things that are really, really important with what you do and, and how you sort of developed your your future and your career? Yeah, um, and yeah, I have had quite a, a wide-ranging career, albeit in customer, generally customer-facing businesses. I think uh, I've been very lucky to work for um, some really good brands, and I think there are a couple of things that um, I certainly would say that um, I've learned along the way. One is persistence. So I think um, no matter what anyone tells you, risk is required in business, whether you own your own business or whether you are the head of a department or a manager in a business. I think risk is vitally important to really think out the box. Um, I'm not talking about extremes of risk, but what I do think is important is that people are able to flourish and really think outside of the box in their own roles because that's what's create that's what creates difference, but it also creates um, advantage both to our customers and the company itself. So I think that's really really important. And I think comes with that, comes with the modern day world is a lot of there is a lot of business data that's thrown at individuals. Um, I would always say that my general um, style is to think by the gut. Now, that doesn't mean to say I don't look at data and I don't uh, review it, but I also think sometimes you've got to go with your gut and know what's right for your customers or your people. And generally, that tends to put you in the right place going forward. I think one of the challenges is um, when I see uh, more junior members 
uh, of teams, not generally at Virgin Atlantic, but anywhere, is that they tend to shy away from risk because it's seen as not good. Um, I actually think you should encourage that. Uh, and I know Google, for example, encourages risk um, and actually asks you to fail so many times a year. And I think that's a very interesting concept. So I'd certainly say that is that is really important, but the persistence around that is key. I think the second thing is the value of having a different view on the world. So um, if you work in a business for 20 years uh, and you think just about airlines or travel, you're not really thinking creatively about what could be the next big thing. And there are lots of opportunities in how you do that in the modern day world, whether it's uh, podcasts like this, whether it's uh, you know talking to external people, whether it's getting external advice, whether it's looking through um, the internet. There are lots of different ways of doing it. But I really do think as a person in business that certainly is in the corporate world, um, you need to think about things outside looking in because that's how you get a point of difference. If someone had said to us um, uh, five, six years ago, we're going to create a virtual roller coaster in a shopping centre in Cardiff and we're going to sell holidays and it'll be one of the most successful um, stores that Virgin Holidays had and also sells you know, holidays to, to Orlando um, with huge margins on them. People would think you're probably mad, but in reality, it's worked because it's immersed the customer in the experience. And by looking outside in, and actually we got that idea from actually looking at um, theme parks, um, was that you really get a point of difference, but you also enables you to really think about how your business can continue to evolve and thrive. And I think anyone at any level needs to think like that in the modern day world. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think there's a couple of questions around that. Um you know, I think, you know, from an honest perspective, you know, we work across lots of different sectors. So it's really interesting for us to one day be working on an automotive brand, the next day to be working on a big leisure brand, the next day to be working, you know, with a banking brand. And actually, we can draw from that inspiration to sort of like, you know, drive in. But I think risk is a key word around that. So when you talk about risk, what does that mean? Because when you use the word risk, it's almost like a scary word. You know, is there like a softer yeah. way of using the word? What does risk mean? So I was listening to an interesting podcast the other day about Amazon and, you know, like you were saying about, you know, they've got lots and lots of different businesses, that are, you know, amazing as we know, but, you know, risk and, you know, they're, they're prepared to fail. What does risk mean to you? Well, I think in terms of business, risk means, you know, really thinking about, I think it goes back a step. Firstly, what, what do your customers want? So what do customers want? How do you create a niche in the market? Because in our world, you know, there are many airlines. So, you know, you've got to create a point of difference. But then you've also got to look at risk through the prism of, okay, so um, risk could be around financial risk. It could be around uh, business risk. But what is key in that risk is actually what do you really want to achieve from a customer perspective? And if it is does mean really thinking differently, then ultimately businesses, albeit, you know, in a measure risk, should take that. So an example I would use is, you know, going back to the, I mean, the roller coaster one's an example where we would put, I think the, the value of that was around £50,000. Well, that on top of the cost of the store actually is quite expensive. But ultimately, what's the, what's the comeback from that? Well, we'll get £400,000 in margin. So 
I think relating the risk to actually the financial success is really important. And I think the challenge people often have is they don't relate the two together. So, you know, there are various examples of businesses taking risks probably every day, regardless of, um, you know, and they are successful. You know, you, Amazon's a good example. Well, they take they take risks and they've invested in certain products, which I would imagine at a time would have seen been seen as very interesting for them to do so. And it's paid back. And I think those companies that are successful today seem to always be prepared to take calculated risks to get a return. And I think the probable way I would describe risk is what's the return on it? Because for businesses not to take any risk, they tend to then become quite mundane and middle of the road. And for me, a business in the middle of the road is a business that's in danger because it's in danger of becoming pretty normal. And that's not a place that any business would want to be in. And I think any business that's either successful or has been has taken risk. I'm not take, talking about extreme risk, um, certainly not when I come from an airline point of view, but what I would say is risk in terms of product and how we change things is really important. And, you know, um, there are various examples that, you know, are quite technical to go into from an airline point of view where we could take risk and we and and I've pushed those boundaries to take those risks because ultimately it's the right thing to do. It's almost like, you know, a really nice word for it is almost like innovation because really innovation, yeah. as we know, you know, sometimes it's incredibly successful. It generates lots of change. Um, and we always talk about it, Dan, and it's quite interesting around um, a return and all our clients talk about return and things washing their face and all those sort of things in terms of value. But there has to be two things, you know, emotional value, which is, you know, back to your earlier point about customers shopped more, bought more holidays because of that, and then also the revenue value. And it feels to me that over the last like year or two or three, the revenue value has been much more of a drive than the emotional value. But actually, if you do a great service, you really look after your customers, the money comes, doesn't it? Yeah. I think and yeah, I, I think what, what certainly has taught me in my um career is as someone that's worked for generally what I would call more premium brands is that people will be prepared to pay the right price for things that you wouldn't think people would pay for if the right innovation and actually risk and innovation is the same thing as it were so to your point and you're right and secondly I think you know as long as the emotional connection is there with the right product people will pay for it I've always been a firm believer in if the product is positioned at the right individual at the right time people will pay for it and you know it doesn't just include premium brands I, I i sort of look at other brands and think well there's an emotional attachment there and ultimately they're probably getting great margins from it but they've got the product right and the right connection and i think that's really important and you know you can see brands at all levels doing that today i think that's where the outside looking in piece is because you know um you, you won't want to take other people's ideas, but in the same respect, it's good to see other people's innovation and see how it succeeds. And that, to me, is quite quite a good way of looking at things. I mean, what do you? I mean, I, I read a really interesting article the other day. You know, and this is in, rolls quite nicely into my next question, which is what is the roles of brands in society right now? And I read this brilliant article about the rise in the tech brands, as we know. You know, it's almost like they're becoming as wealthy and as influential as you know governments and organize you know you know typically sort of religious sort of um mantras you know so what do you see as a role of brands in society right now i mean there's a big enormous surge around the value and the sustainability and the ethos yeah. and the values and looking after people think, what do you see the role in the, so the brands I, now? I, yeah no it's a good question i think um 
I think brands are as important, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't put them as important in governments literally, but what <laughs> I would say is brands dictate to people and individuals about what they wear, how they look, what they do. And ultimately, I do truly believe brands of today have also a, a duty to make sure they're protecting the planet and the environment and doing the things they should be doing. Because to be fair, people buy into brands because they either want to look, wear or have an attachment to them, but they also want to make sure those brands are doing good for the world as well. So I think when you see brands, uh, you know, for example, not paying the right tax or perceivably not paying the right tax, clearly that is challenged by a certain group of society because they see it as they're not playing their part. And some of these companies are bigger than some multi, you know, some some um, countries' turnovers. So I think there's an element of that. I think there's also an element around brands really playing into influencing in the right way um, the future behaviours of society. And I think that's quite important. So, you know, the government, for example, has a target to become uh, all electric vehicles by I think it was 2030. And that, to me, is about the brands will play the part, not the government. The government won't be doing that. It will be the brands that are in the UK that will drive that forward to all electric vehicles by 2030. I think it was that, 2030, 2035. Well, that's not government. That Government can set the target, but ultimately it will involve brands to, to achieve that because it's not going to go anywhere without that. So I think there's a real... Um, uh, you know, piece for brands to play. And you can see some key brands that really make a, a difference and influence that. You, you really can. So, you know, obviously at the moment with the times are, you know, incredibly tough and I, for one, am missing, you know, I'm really missing experience. I was quite lucky on Saturday. I came into Soho and had a, a really lovely tapas and it was had an amazing energy, you know, and it was safe and it felt um, considered and the restaurant owners were amazingly brilliant. So, you know, I've got a question on what do you see as the future of experience of people going more online? Do you still see people, you know, heading up sort of virgin lounges? Do you see experience as really, you know, important? Um, so I do think there'll be an element of where there'll be a bit more pick up um, digitally online for things but I do believe that people will still want to experience touch taste whatever the right um, phrase is around products and you know the march towards you know uh, online versus in store or or um, is an important one but I think there's a balance and I think the balance will be tipped a certain way I think there'll be still stores where people want to go into and experience that and your um, point about a restaurant on um, Saturday is there's only so many takeaways one can have in the house before you actually <laughs> want to experience society again. And regardless of what people may say, um, they will thrive. Now, will there be an element of um, uh, change in each of these um, industries? Yes. And I think, unfortunately, you will lose certain uh, brands and products that maybe couldn't last the fight of this but in out of that shakes out i think an excitement around those brands that survive will evolve um and those products will evolve as well i do truly believe people will always want experiences uh in our space in lounges clearly we have well we don't have to have them but we would have them because it's an important part of our customer journey in actual fact our clubhouse brand is is far more important actually on the ground than a lot of our other branding is actually is seen as a brand in its own right but 
will we evolve that? Yes, but will we make sure it's still personable and uh, face-to-face? Absolutely, because our customers love it. And I think personally, out of all this, people will um, respect that more, but also want to get back to it more. Um, now, they may do it less, but they'll probably do it in a far bigger way and enjoy themselves far more frequently in that respect. So I, I think, yes, I think it will come back. And I think experiences are important. Whatever industry you're in, I think it will be important. Ultimately, you know, um, there are certain products you just won't buy online. I mean, you're not going to buy uh, a Rolls Royce online because ultimately you want to experience the products of it first. Yes, you'll look at it online, but then you want to go in and experience it. Um, you know, there are certain products where I just think it lends itself to a bit of an evolution in in experience. Um, and you can see that where companies are thinking out of that. Will it shrink in certain areas? Yes, but but I don't think that's anything outside of the evolution of business, you know, um, and come that comes, you know, really good experiences for people to, to get involved in when um, things become a, a little bit normal normal so how optimistic are you Dan for the future you know where do you what do you want to see for yourself a year from now so uh, I'm incredibly optimistic because um, uh, one it's the right thing to to be but also secondly I think whilst this is probably one of the worst experiences uh, most people hopefully ever see in their lifetime I think what it shakes out is a new beginning for a lot of businesses and enterprise and I think come out of that will be a new world and a new optimism which you know um, will really shape the future and you know for Virgin we without a doubt have gone through a very difficult period probably more difficult than most of our competitors but what we also know is um, that we now have a real opportunity to really think again uh, work at pace uh, really have the startup mentality and really think about um, how we're going to deliver great experiences for our passengers going forward. So to me, um, yeah, very exciting times once we get through 2020. Yeah, no, I mean, I tend to agree. I think I think there's always like a catalyst of change and, and our sort of overall feeling speaking to a lot of our clients is, you know, to win it, to win it sort of any sort of retail, you've got to sort of win in all channels. You know, you've got to allow your yeah. customers to touch and feel them. You know, it's interesting, I was reading a, a good article the day about Nike, you know, they've got a really big store expansion happening next year. They're sort of coming away from the Amazon online because they're losing their brand. You know, they're losing, the, you know, they put their products on Amazon, they're losing their brand and their their experience and how people sort of interact with them. So they're pulling away from that global marketplace because they're wanting to establish their own identity in the world. Yes, and, I, and I'll give you a good personal example. I mean, I um, I was looking for a new uh, winter jacket because, you know, um, it actually has got a lot warmer actually the last few days. But um, the company I looked at was Bellstaff. And the problem the problem online was you could look at the product, um, but the sizing was obviously slightly different to normal sizing. Ultimately, also as well, it's how you, it fits you as an individual. Well, then I drove into London to look to, to pick up the jacket but also try it in, in the store and literally the connection between online and personable experience was pretty amazing i literally dropped them a, a note to say i'm going into region street and someone replied within five minutes to say yeah we'll put that one aside for you just bear in mind it might be a bit um uh, small so we'll put the, the bigger size um away as well and literally 
within an hour or so, I'd driven down there and tried it on. Now, obviously, practically, that isn't available for everyone. But what I would say is the connection between online and in-store is vitally important because there are certain things that you just wouldn't want to take a risk on because it's also the hassle now of actually sending the product back. It's not an easy process. People say it's easy, but I also think that there is a real connection between the two. So, yes, I do think things will move a bit more to um, online, but I think that's more about joining up the experience better. There are a lot of companies that still, in my view, don't have a particularly great joined-up experience between their online and in-store presence. Um, and those that do it really well really succeed at it. Yeah. Um, and that's and, sometimes and, uh, as well. That's just one. That's sometimes example. as well because, of, you know, the, the P&L is not always uh, connected. You know, we, we for one, you know, we've, um, you know, we really like shopping in um, in this shop called Neptune. And they have some really, really lovely products. We go online and we buy it. Then we go into store and we look at it. We've got an amazing showroom where we live in Wimbledon. We have a lovely cup of tea every time we go round. We're constantly in there. But sometimes we shop in store. Sometimes we shop online. And and I said to them the other day, you know, do you mind where we shop? And they were like, no, shop anywhere. But but obviously, you know, from your experience of working at Virgin Holidays and Selfridges, a lot of that um, in, in the past or at the moment still, that sort of money, if you don't turn over that business, by shopping in that store, spending your money, then they attribute the sales to, you know, to the online or to the physical and therefore the connection isn't there. So for customers, we just see it as one world and we want to go into the showrooms, we want to go online, we want to have that thing. But actually, the, and it's the same as airlines, you know, you, you buy into Virgin, you buy that ticket, you go into that lounge, that is your experience. But how do you attribute that from a you know, profit revenue from the customer perspective. Yeah, no, it's a really good point. Um, That's where I think business models have to change. I mean, um, you know, the the, the business model around the old standalone profit and loss account with each store, I think, is a bit sort of gone. And, you know, I I know Waitrose are looking at innovatively about how they attribute their online sales because they're trying to grow it and compete against Ocado. And I think that's the right way to look at it. I think ultimately you will need stores and Neptune, if I'm not mistaken, is the ones with the big catalogs they send you (laughs) and huge, great, big, wonderful um, catalogs. And ultimately that is expensive. So are their stores, but they need somewhere to showcase that product. But how they connect the two with online is really important. And um, there are companies that do it quite innovatively and that's how they protect their bricks and mortar because some you will still need some presence on the high street albeit it might be uh more niche and in certain locations so i think how you rethink the business model is quite important around online versus uh bricks and mortar is quite key so just last question dan before you shoot off so do you think the world needs more bold thinking Yes, yes. I actually think it needs more bold thinking, if I may say, not just in business, but in in politics. But yeah, no, I mean, ultimately, bold thinking to me always wins the day. I I truly believe that, certainly for me personally, the people that I've always looked up to uh, in life have been bold thinkers. Now, have they always got it right? No. Um, uh, But they have always tried and they've succeeded eventually. So in my view, um, bold wins the day personally that that's how I look at it and 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 ultimately more bold thinking creates a better environment for all of us yeah brilliant thanks Dan it's so good to talk to you today no worries so thank you for listening to bold thinking entrepreneurial stories honestly told join us next time to hear from more people making positive change in the world thank you Dan it was really interesting to hear